Let's turn uh, to Matthew chapter 27. We're in a, a eight to 10 week series. We're about halfway through, more than halfway through of encounters with Christ. And today's encounter is gonna show us the price of your salvation. And our salvation we should never take for granted because it was such a precious price that the Father paid to have you redeemed, to be reconciled back into a relationship with Him. We know it's not by works that we're saved, it's through faith in Christ, but there, there was a price that was paid. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had to be, take on flesh and die, but more than die, He was tortured and suffered greatly. And today's uh, encounter is going to be with Pontius Pilate. And as, as I've gone through this, uh, this passage over and over this week, I've just renewed my appreciation for my salvation. And I hope that uh, through our short time that we have together, you'll just renew your gratefulness and your desire to live for Christ. And if there's any weight that's holding you back from fully being launched forward to pursue Christ or live for Him, my hope and prayer for you and for me, for us, is that we would untie ourselves from that this morning because there's so much in this world that wants to weigh you down and hinder your walk with Christ and as we walk through this and see how Jesus willingly gave himself up for you my heart's prayer for you is that we would want to live for him wholeheartedly for the time that we have remaining here on this earth this encounter with Pontius Pilate is recorded in all four gospels and it's amazing how much time the Holy Spirit gives to this encounter. There's 80 verses, perhaps more, that are written down between the four gospel writers. It's a very unique encounter as Pilate doesn't go to Jesus, but Jesus is brought in before him, bound by his hands. This is another unusual encounter because there are no miracles. There's no healings, no demons cast out. There's no teaching by Jesus as he would teach in the synagogue. Uh, no situations that Jesus is responding to other than that he is on trial. He's on a, a capital trial for his life, with, for the capital punishment is on the line. It's early Friday morning, good Friday morning. And Pontius Pilate, perhaps he's awakened, we don't know his schedule, but we know that Jesus is taken to the Roman governor's headquarters. And Pilate will be the sixth governor to, to rule over this area, or at least to, to administer over this area. And he has one simple job, and his job is to keep the peace, to enforce the laws of Rome, but to keep the peace. Jerusalem is a, a major outpost. It's far from Rome. There's not as many soldiers as Pilate would like because of the great distance to help keep the peace. So it's always like a powder keg in this area of the world that's ready to blow up at any moment. And to make matters worse, it's Passover weekend. The attendance of this Passover feast will cause the population of Jerusalem to swell. Perhaps 10 to 15 times the normal population. The streets will be jam-packed and it will be packed with visitors, pilgrims from all over the Roman Empire. And so when they leave, if anything bad happens under Pilate's watch, the news of what happened is going to spread very quickly throughout the Roman Empire. The Roman guards will be on full alert. Pilate would be on pins and needles. And now we see that there's a large dilemma that Pilate is about to be presented with. And just like anyone who's confronted with Jesus, 
The question for them, for you, and for Pilate is, what shall we do with Jesus? That's the question that Pilate will have to answer. You cannot be neutral on Jesus. You either accept him or you reject him. But by being neutral, you've rejected Christ. I want to walk through this passage starting in Matthew 27, verse 11. We'll read it together so you can get the context. And then we'll break it apart verse by verse. And hear how the Holy Spirit speaks to you and me today. Matthew 27, verse 11 starts out, Now Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat... His wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of these two do you want me to release? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus called the Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Verse 24 tells us, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but but rather a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. This passage starts out by telling us that Pilate is confronted by Jesus, the Son of God who's come from heaven to earth to die for all sins. He's standing before the governor, and the governor asked him of all the questions he could ask, Of all the allegations, of all the charges, why is he asking him this one question? Are you the king of the Jews? That was not the charge that he was uh, convicted of before Caiaphas, the high priest. Just prior to this was the, the religious trial, if you will. The high priest had trumped up false witnesses. It was a kangaroo court. They had made all sorts of accusations about Jesus. And in Matthew 26, 59, we're told this. Prior to this event, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death, but they found none. The high priest had asked Jesus if he was the son of God, and in Matthew 26, 64, Jesus said to them, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest, he had ripped his clothes. He screamed blasphemy and said, this man deserves death. The the, the Jews can't execute death. 
they have to take it to the Romans to get the governor's approval. So now he is standing before the governor. But the charge that they bring against Jesus before Pilate is not a religious charge. They're not charging him of blasphemy. They have political accusations because the Romans have no interest in religious matters of the Jews. But they do have an interest if this is going to be an insurrection. If Jesus is claiming to be a political king and challenging Caesar, then this would be worthy of a crucifixion. So they change the charge when they have a different audience. The charge now with this kangaroo court is before Pilate is saying, this man wants to be king. He's claiming to be king. So now the accusation is heard by Caesar, or excuse me, by Caesar's representative, Pilate, and Pilate says, are you a king? And Jesus simply responds, you have said so. In John 18, 29 through 30, we read this, John adds, so Pilate went outside and said to him, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, would we not have delivered him over to you? The truth of the matter is this man was not doing evil and they still delivered him over to Pilate. By asking Pilate that question, it's an indignation. They're putting Pilate on trial. How dare you ask us if we actually have a charge against this man? Of course we have a charge against this man, but the reality is they don't have any charge of any substance. In Luke 23 verse 2, we read this. And they began to accuse him saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying he himself is Christ, a king. They're making these allegations of interest to, to Pilate so that he would crucify him. But in Rome, there was a saying, no king but Caesar. Everyone knew that if anyone claimed to be a king, he could be crucified because that would be challenging Caesar's power and rule. They're making up political accusations. And Pilate asked the question, are you a king? And Jesus says, you have said so. Jesus does not say no. He doesn't disagree. In John 18, 36 of the four gospels, each gospel writer includes a different aspect of this trial. John adds this. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world or from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who listens to, to my voice, listens to the truth, listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? In Pilate's day and age, just like our day and age, people are asking, what is truth? They hear lies and gossip and rumors all over television as political parties fight each other. And where is truth in the midst of all of that? This is like a, a capital trial in Capitol Hill, isn't it? As if Jesus would be on trial in Washington as one political party or another is slandering him and they're trying to find accusations that might stick. Pilate is is not understanding here that Jesus is the truth. And in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's looking truth right square in the eyes. And he's saying, what is truth? Pilate, don't you know you're looking at truth? That Jesus is the truth and the crowd is lying to you. The religious leaders are lying to you. Verse 12, we read this. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. This is John telling us what had happened earlier. 
Jesus offers no resistance. He offers no fight. There's no debate, no argument. Why? Because Jesus is willing, willingly going to the cross because that's the Father's plan to purchase your salvation and my salvation. Jesus knows what the plan is. And, and even in their rebellion against God, the people are falling right in line with the Father's plan for Jesus. The, Father tr- the Son trusts the Father. And the question as we read what Jesus is about to go through, are you grateful for your salvation today, believers? Or do you take it for granted? Do you wake up every morning and say, thank you, Father, that you sent the Son to die on the cross for my sins? Is your life a reflection of your gratitude for what Christ has done for you? Would people see how grateful you are for Christ and the way you live and by what you say? Is your life living in obedience to Christ or are you living life your own way? The world desperately wants you not to obey the word of God. But Jesus says so many times, those who love me will obey me. Do you love the Son? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior, and do you value your salvation? Jesus gave up his life. He suffered. He died and was buried. That he would raise again, that is the truth. And this world is filled with so many lies to keep people from Christ and from knowing the truth. Verse 13, we see this. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? Pilate is marveling that Jesus is not offering any defense. He's not countering with arguments. He's not saying, this is how they're wrong. Let me tell you why. This is a really big deal in a Roman trial because the number one defense is the testimony of the defendant. And in the Roman trial, according to Roman history and customs, if a defendant offers no defense, he will automatically be found guilty. Jesus is offering no defense to their accusations. Why? Because Jesus is trusting the Father's plan. And when things seem out of the ordinary for you, believers, do you trust the Father's plan? Or do you try to take matters into your own hands? In Psalm 20, verse 7, we read this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. The Lord, is Jesus, is put in this situation here. And he's demonstrating that even in the situation when times are tough, When he's up against the wall, the son is trusting in the father. And the father will oftentimes put you in situations, friends, to see if you will trust in yourself or trust in the father. Who do you trust today? The people are out to destroy Jesus. Their enemy is literally truth. Verse 14 tells us, but he gave no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Why is this man not defending himself? Doesn't he know if he's not defending himself, he will be found guilty? The governor is perplexed. Pilate wants a way out. Perhaps the the custom for the festival will be his way out. He's going to try it. Verse 15. Now at the feast, the the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner they wanted. This is going to be the way out for Pilate. I'll just offer Jesus, who has done no wrong against the most wicked, evil criminal that we have. He's not going to get someone who was in the prison for shoplifting. He's going to get a murderer, an insurrectionist, a thief, Barabbas. Barabbas has actually done the crimes that Jesus is accused of but didn't do. There is no possible way the crowd will choose Barabbas over Jesus, who's innocent. That's Pilate's logic and his thinking. Verse 16, here's what he does. 
So they had then a, a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. This notorious Barabbas would be like a modern-day celebrity. He'd be the Bonnie and Clyde of his day, the Ted Bundy or, or Jeffrey Dahmer. Everybody would have known how bad this guy was. He would have been all over the headlines. The whole country would have known about Barabbas. He was out to get Rome, and if he could kill a Roman soldier in the blink of an eye, he would do it. No questions asked. Verse 17 tells us this. So when they gathered, Pilate said, here's his chance to get out of this. Who do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they delivered him up. This verse 18, out of envy, means that Pilate knows it's not out of his guilt. He, he knows it's not out of an actual crime that Jesus committed. He knows it's not an actual sin that he committed. But he knows it's out of their jealousy for Jesus. He was gaining popularity. People were turning to Jesus and not the religious leaders. And they were losing ground. They wanted Jesus dead. Verse 16 tells us about this tradition. The worst criminals brought forward. Now here's something you may or may not know. The early manuscripts tell us what Bar Barabbas' first name is. Do you know what his first name is according to the early Greek manuscripts? His name is Jesus. Guess what Barabbas means in Hebrew? Son of the Father. So Barabbas' name is Jesus, Son of the Father. You think that's a coincidence? That's not a coincidence, friends. We have Jesus, Son of the Father, against Jesus, the Son of the one true Father in heaven. The Lord knows what he's doing here. Barabbas means son of the father, and now these two are standing trial against one another. And what the problem for Pilate, what Pilate didn't know is Jesus, the son of God, is in full control of this situation. As he stands before the earthly judge, Jesus is full control of what's about to happen. He must go to the cross. Everything that's happening and is about to happen is a fulfillment of prophecy. It must happen exactly the way it's happening. The Lord is in full control. Even though these lies and accusations and false witnesses are being all thrown around about Jesus, it's all part of the Father's plan. Verse 19, besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his, his wife, she sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him in a dream. That, that would mean something in the ancient world. For Pilate to hear that his wife had a dream, the Romans were very super, superstitious. They were polytheistic. They had all sorts of gods that they worshipped, and they believed their God spoke to them in their dreams. And they took their dreams very seriously. His wife is very rattled by this dream. She had this dream which has told her that this is a righteous man and that you should stay away from him. And she sends word because this is such a big deal to tell her husband, don't touch this man. Have nothing to do with him. He is a good man. The dream would have put Pilate in a great fear and warning as well. And now we get to verse 20. Everything is escalating. The pressure on Pilate is mounting now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas. That means they, they weren't originally. But it took the Jewish leaders who were opposing Jesus to convince them. They would have been yelling and, and trying to convince them why Jesus must be destroyed. And here it says they convinced the crowd to, to ask for Barabbas and to do what? To destroy Jesus. They want to destroy him. This word means to, to kill or to cause to perish they want him to be crucified. John 1.11 tells us he came to his own, 
in his own did not receive him. And the irony here is that the people are doing exactly what the, the Father has planned. How does Jesus maintain strength here? Jesus keeps his eyes on the Father and the mission. And so too shall you and I keep our eyes on the Son, that we keep our eyes fixed on Christ and the mission he has called for us, no matter what comes our way. No matter what challenges we face, we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. I, I like to say that when you're looking up, you can't be down. And when a situation has you down, you need to look up. Because when you're looking up to heaven, you can't be down on earth. Jesus is looking up to the Father for strength. And how do we look up? Philippians 4, 4 through 7 tells you and I how you can look up in the midst of any situation that should have you down. Here's how we do it. Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious, be not anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what happens when you pray with an attitude of gratitude? Here's what happens. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In the midst of all of this, Jesus has the peace of the Father. In the midst of going before the, the cross, we're told that he had joy that for what, that which was set before him. Jesus has peace. He goes to the Father. In John 17, he has already prayed, not my will, but your will be done. I want to read for you this little four-line poem. I read this this week. I thought it was really good. I wanted to pass it on for you. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Isn't that great? Let me read it one more time. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. The Lord has already prepared his heart and mind for the situation by praying to the Father in John 17. How much time do you spend in your prayer life going to the Father with pain that you might suffer or uncomfortable situations that the Lord may bring your way? Do you trust the Father or do you allow the pain to grow, never taking it to the Lord in prayer? Prayer is a, a tool. It's, a, it's a, a, a pressure valve for believers that as pressure mounts up in your life and my life, no matter what that pressure is, that we could take it to the Father in prayer and the pressure is relieved. Verse 21 says, the governor again said to the people, he's looking for every possible way out. He's already said once, who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? And the crowd is saying, we want Barabbas. Normally, he would only ask this question once, but he can't believe his ears. He's going to ask it again. The governor again said, which of these two do you want to be released to you? And they said, Barabbas? Barabbas. Barabbas was evil. Jesus was righteous. Barabbas killed people. Jesus rose people from the dead. Barabbas was a thief. Jesus gave healing and liberty by casting out demons. Barabbas was a criminal. Jesus broke no crimes. Barabbas was a sinner. Jesus had no sin. The crowd wanted Barabbas to go free and Jesus to be crucified. Verse 22 says, the greatest question of all time that every human being must answer for themselves Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? 
Every person who's confronted by Jesus must answer that question. Pilate has to answer that question. But Pilate tried to avoid it by not answering it, but by not answering it, he answered it negatively. He rejected Christ. Pilate had pressure from Rome, a warning from his wife, lies of the leaders, a chance from the crowd, and an innocent man standing in front of him. And they all said, let him be crucified. Over and over, the crowd shouted, crucify, crucify. Verse 23, and he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Pilate, who is a judge, knows that this man is innocent. He knows they're trumped up charges. He knows that Jesus should be set free. So what will he do in verse 24? So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, see, he, was, he wanted the crowd to release him. But he was getting nowhere. But rather a riot was beginning. Pilate could not afford a riot, not this weekend, not now. Because the eyes of the world were on Jerusalem during Passover. And he had to maintain peace. He took water and he washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. This was not a Roman ritual. History tells us this was a Jewish ritual. And he's mocking them in a way. He's throwing right back at on their own ritual saying, I wash myself clean of this man. But little does Pilate know that water does not wash away sin. Only the blood of Christ will wash away sin. Water does not wash away guilt. He can wash his hands all day long, but he's still guilty of the condemnation that Jesus faced. Pilate wanted nothing to do with it. In verse 25, look at what the people say. This is amazing. These are the religious leaders, mind you. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Oh, how little they forget. Two months later. When Peter is preaching that you killed Jesus, you crucified Jesus, and he's preaching to the very ones who are right here saying, let his blood be on us. Let me read for you what they say in Acts 5, 27, the same people. And when they had brought them in, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charge you, talking to Peter and John, not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us? They are guilty, and they're trying to absolve themselves of their guilt. They can deny it all day long, and they are still guilty of the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. You can try to wash your hands with water. You can try to blame other people for your sin, but they are still guilty of their sin. And only repentance and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse them. Verse 26, then they released... For them, Barabbas. Remember that means son of the father. And they scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. The prophet Isaiah tells us how badly Jesus was disfigured by the beating that he took. By the slashes. The prophet Isaiah said he didn't even look human. That he was unrecognizable to anyone who saw him. And the people couldn't look at him because he was so badly beaten they had to turn their heads. Pilate was the one who sent Jesus to be lashed and sent him to be crucified. He is guilty, just as guilty as the Jews. But that was the Father's plan, and every moment of it was fulfilled by prophecy, fulfilled the prophecy. And now I leave you just very quickly a few moments here of some things to think about or points to ponder this week. Number one is this. Jesus' silence was part of God's plan. Jesus' silence was part of God's plan. It was the fulfillment of of prophecy. If you've never read Isaiah 53, I want to challenge you and encourage you to read it today. 
Isaiah 53 is known as the servant song. It's all about Jesus in this moment. Let me read for you verses 2 through 8 from Isaiah 53. For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. For he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like sheep before the shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? Psalm 22 was a Christophany. And Psalm 22 are the thoughts of Christ as he hung on the cross. Can you imagine that? Written a thousand years before it happened. Let me read for you the thoughts of Christ from Psalm 22, beginning in verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My, my strength is dried up like a pot shred, and that my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothing among them themselves, and, and for the clothing they cast lots. This is what the Lord did to purchase your salvation, friends. Are you grateful? How important to you is, is the suffering of the servant. This is the Messiah. Isaiah 53 is all about the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah who suffered for all of humanity, God in the flesh. Point number two to ponder is this, that Pilate had both feet in the world. Pilate didn't care about Jesus. He had no interest whatsoever. He cared more about the things of the world. He cared more about his power. He cared about his position and his politics He cared more about politics, power, and position than he did confession, repentance, and righteousness. As believers, we should care more about confession, repentance, and righteousness than anything else. Jesus says to his followers to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else will be added for you. You were purchased by the blood of Christ. You were liberated from the reign of sin in your life. Do you live like it, friends? Do you live in freedom that Christ purchased for you, or do you still live under the bondage of sin? sin and slavery to sin. Pilate was a real prisoner. He's the real prisoner here because he was in bondage by the people and their desires and their politics, and he couldn't set himself free from it. Number three is this, we'll close, is what shall you do with Jesus? What shall you do with Jesus? You are confronted right here, right now with the God of the universe. Shall you receive him as Lord and Savior? Or you reject him like Pilate did, or even try to do nothing with him, because doing nothing is rejecting him. My hope and prayer is that you will confess your sin before the Lord today. 
all believers, we all need to continually confess our sin. But if you've never given your life to Christ, you could confess your sin before the Lord today and repent and turn to Christ, who is the one and only Savior of the world. He is the truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. As believers, let us live lives that reflect the gratitude of our heart for what Jesus did for us to purchase our salvation. Let us honor you in everything we think, say, and do. Have we been doing that? Have you been doing that, church? I want to pause for just a moment during this time of prayer to give everyone a chance, including me, to confess sin before the Lord. Confess areas of your life where you've not been living gratefully before the Lord. Father, let us be a people who are not too proud to confess our sin, to admit when we're wrong, I'm wrong, Father, I sin before you. Father, please receive the prayers of the hearts of those who are offering their prayers right now of confession. Let us be a people of God who honor you in everything we think, say, and do, that we would desire to please you. We've been purchased by the blood of Christ who freely and willingly gave his life, that we would have life in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.